0: I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and let's get started with the Jack Riccardi Show.
1: All right, good afternoon, Christian. I uh, I keep trying to figure out if there's something that could preempt tonight. I don't want like the world to end or a meteor to strike, but <laughs> like maybe it could be a small meteor. You know what I'm saying? How about
0: another balloon flying? Yeah,
1: another, <laughs> another balloon. That's right. Maybe a balloon will will save us. All right. Well, anyway, it is the day of the night of the State of the Union speech, and I'll I'll allay your fears right off the bat. And I I, I can't take any credit for this, um, but I have been assured by our bosses that we will not run that hour of. ABC, Pravda, pre-speech, uh, analysis, uh, that, that just drove everybody crazy last time. So, uh, I don't know if it was my whining or if it was your whining or our collective whining, but we'll have, uh, we'll be on till seven. We'll have Lars Larson starting at seven and then we'll go to the speech, the coverage of the speech and the Republican response, uh, from Governor Sarah Sanders. And then we'll, you know, go back to whatever program we're in by that point. So that's the plan. Here on KTSA tonight. Uh, this is the second state of the union speech from Joe Biden, but a lot of people think this is also the one that sets up his running for reelection in 2024. I, I have to say, I, I never believed he would be president. I don't really have a good theory as to how this happened. I have some ideas, but, um, I can't put it all together. And explain how he got to be president. So now that he is president, it's impossible for me to imagine that he could run for re-election or that he could be re-elected. But I'm not going to say that it couldn't happen or wouldn't happen because, again, um, you know, I, I with my recent track record, I'm not going to make a prediction. The state of the union is whatever you think it is. It's wh- whatever you're experiencing. You know, I realized after Barack Obama was president, we did a lot of complaining about Barack Obama on this show. Uh, not just me, but you. We did a lot of complaining. We had issues with just about everything he did, just about every policy and many of the things he said. Uh, but the Barack Obama years were not bad years for our personal income or economy. In fact, the people that did the worst under Barack Obama were the people that had been promised they would do better. The Democrats have a way of hurting the the people in their base more than anybody. Whether you look at black unemployment, whether you look at um crime in the inner cities, wh- whether whether you look at any of their broken promises, the most broken those promises ever get are with the people who were counting on them the most. So yeah, I didn't I didn't agree with President Obama, but I didn't suffer under President Obama, but people did. And people are suffering under this president. And when I think about how he became president and what he's going to say tonight, people are a mystery to me. I mean, I I know there was a lot of fixing for biden i know that they changed all the rules in 2020 i know the republicans sat around and and let that happen and wet the bed and i know the media coverage was favorable and i know he stayed in the basement in delaware but even with all that i i have to admit i don't i don't understand how people couldn't see the difference between the two 2020 candidates one of them had his faults but believed in us and the other one believes in the authority of the ruling class and has subjugated us to it and when people now are saying i've seen countless stories this this week of people saying they're worse off now I, I would i would reframe the question a little bit differently and let me put it to you this way and 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 i would love to hear your answer but if you just want to answer in the silence of your own mind that's okay Rather than say, are you better off since Joe Biden became president, are you better off since the pandemic? Are you economically, financially better off or worse off than you were before the pandemic? Because Biden's policies, in many ways, are post-pandemic policies. This is the way the world is supposed to look from now on. This is the way things are supposed to work from now on. You might never say this out loud, but you've probably wished and wondered many times, can we get back to 2019-style living or 2019-type conditions? And the answer from Biden and his people is no. They're not trying to do that, and you can't do that. And so what you'll hear tonight, if you listen closely, and I don't blame you if you don't listen at all, but if you listen closely, what you'll hear tonight is how the path forward is going to be much better than anything you've known before. We're, we, don't, we don't have to worry about what we had before. It's going to be so much better. And this goes to what I was saying yesterday about how more and more the stuff they're telling us we want, you know, you're going to want to eat crickets, not meat. More and more the stuff they're telling us we want You're going to want your kids to have drag queen story hour. You're not going to want to own a car are not things we want. And you're not alone if every one of these things that's put before you is incredibly unappealing. Now, last night on the show, our producer, Don Cooper, who chimes in from time to time, and we like it when he does, asked the question, and I think, Don, I think you were trying to be kind of funny, but also it was it was a good question. I thought it was a very good question. Would uh, Kevin McCarthy, the new House Speaker, tear up his paper copy of Joe Biden's speech? When a president gets up there to give this thing, he hands a copy of the script to the vice president and to the Speaker of the House, who are sitting up there on the dais behind him. And usually they either put it down in front of them or they flip through it and read along with the speech. But remember when Nancy Pelosi tore hers up, And so Don wondered, would Kevin McCarthy rip up Biden's speech? Well, Kevin McCarthy has actually answered that question. This is what he said, cut number six.
2: You know, I don't believe in uh, the theatrics of tearing up speeches. I respect the other side. I can disagree on policy, but I want to make sure this country is stronger, economically sound, energy independent, secure, and uh,
0: accountable.
1: Um. I mean, it's it's a good answer, but was she acting when she did that? Was that an act? Or did she really hate the man in front of her and hate the people who support him, like you and me, and hate what he had said? Because it could be an act, but it could also be exactly what you will feel like doing tonight when you hear Joe Biden's speech. Not that you'll have a copy of it, but if you did, maybe you'd want to tear it up. And we have changed. I don't know when and and exactly why, but we have changed. There's a saying I used to use on the radio, and I don't use it anymore because it sounds kind of hokey. I used to say, agree to disagree. And we used to do that. We used to shake our head, not our fist. We might have turned away from someone, but we didn't want to cancel their existence. And I'm, I'm wondering, when did this start and who started it? When did we get like this? When did we get to the point where we are disgusted? Democrats will blame Trump. He's the source of it all. But, of course, we know there was divisiveness before him. And the stuff they called him... They had previously called Mitt Romney and John McCain and and others. In fact, some of the Republicans, they now lionize on the left, like George H.W. Bush, they had exactly these same epithets for not so long ago. You just have to be old enough to remember. Republicans will say Obama was the, 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 the root of it, that he was inflammatory, racially inflammatory, and he was. But have you noticed that lately, the way the Democrats sound, Barack Obama would be the most reasonable one of them. That's that's how far they're they're going and have gone. He now sounds very calm compared to somebody like, say, Ilhan Omar. Or was it the 2000 election? Was it the election of the hanging Chad when the Supreme Court had to intervene after a month-plus of counting and recounting in Florida. That robbed both sides of a clear but close outcome. And as you know, there are people that have never let go of 2,000. That's 23 years ago. And now we have people saying things like, my truth. And we have this thing called the cancel culture, which very closely resembles a historical period in, of all places, and we've talked so much about it lately, communist China. Bill Maher was talking about this last night, and I'm always struck by the similarities between the cancel culture um, generation or, or mindset and Chairman Mao and his cancel culture and to me and I'll play some of it for you coming up but to me what we have now are people that are self-appointed revolutionaries they claim total purity their their purpose and their motive is lily white and cannot be questioned And it can justify doing anything. Killing, silencing, destroying. And so the State of the Union is really a relic of an earlier era. Of course, it's being delivered by a relic of an earlier era, too. But it's a relic of an earlier era. It's an era when you listened to the other side while disagreeing with it you prepared your rebuttal and delivered it and then you competed for the best to be the best to do the best and now um it seems like our our goal is to be the only and when did we get like that when do you think this started who who started it and and when did it start 210599 Fifty-five, fifty-five, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think we can all generally agree that we are at a point where Nancy Pelosi ripping up the, the speech is is really a, a symbol of of the times. It's, it's it might have been something that we had never specifically seen before, but it's pretty much the the level of disdain that that one side has for the other side. And uh, how do you think we got this way? When did we get this way? Um, And when did we get to the point where we don't want to rebut or refute people we disagree with, but we really want them gone? We don't want to have to see them. We don't want to know that anyone else can see or hear them. Um, We want to digitally kill them. You know, we may not have Actual lynch mobs, like we had in the Jim Crow era, where a mob of people would drag a black man out of his home and kill him, and dismember him, and 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 you know mutilate the remains of him. But I I think that's what we basically that's that's the basic mob mentality when somebody gets in the crosshairs of this sort of cancel culture, right? We want to drag them off the internet. We want to drag them off their socials. We want to, we want to see if we can get them fired at work. We don't want people to associate with them. We make it known that, that if anyone does associate or come to their defense, then they will also be uh, the recipients of this. What, when did, when did this start? How did we get like this? 210 599 5555. Rudy is on KTSA. Rudy, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, um, Rudy. How are you?
3: Of, I'm doing well, thank you. I kind of have a theory that uh, it came with wokeism. Uh, it's a product of, of being woke. Um, there were, you know, Martin Luther King, for instance, strive to to, to do away and, and abolish the whole separatism. You know, uh, do away with Jim Crow and make everyone equal. Uh, I remember growing up, there was pride in being an American. No matter what your culture, what your background, just pride that We were all one, and, and at least we were Americans. No matter what differences there were, uh, and in the military, it was again. You know, you relied on each other in different cultures and different ethnicities. Sexes, but what, when you but
1: when matters. you say but when you say it came with wokeism, I don't like. What when did wokeism come?
3: I, I think it actually started during the Obama era. Uh, that's when we started looking at uh, you know. Black Lives Matter is a good example of that. When they try to undo everything that Martin Luther King did, uh, you know, you started celebrating and exploring and fighting for rights that you really already had. Uh, it just it wasn't publicized. You didn't it, it didn't really have to be addressed. People just respected each other.
1: So was there a was it just kind of came along gradually, or was there a, an incident or a moment that you can think of? Like when you said Obama era, the first thing I thought of. Uh, was maybe like Michael Brown and you know hands yeah, up, don't I, shoot? Be, because when that was proven to be inaccurate, there was this surprising reaction from people that they didn't care that the story was yeah, inaccurate. They, they wanted their version of it.
3: Exactly. They didn't walk back and say, you know what, maybe we were wrong or overreacted or whatever the case was. We assumed and we just jumped on the on the wagon. They never changed course. And uh, and it didn't matter on what side you stood, and I think that's that was the beginning of this.
1: Uh-huh. Now is this uh, is this like something some fever that's going to break and pass eventually, or is this just the way it, it has to be from now on, or or what?
3: Well, I'm I'm hopeful that it will change, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to change. You know, it, mm. it's broken again. Uh, You know, I started looking at some old movies uh, recently and looking back in the 70s. And, you know, there was a lot of racial stuff going on. But it it didn't seem as bad as it is right now, looking back at some of these older comedies, different shows. uh, And I was kind of surprised because I remember, you know, back in the 70s, things were a little bit different. uh, And I expected to, to look at these movies and be reminded a little bit more about, you know, different racism and separatism and things that were going on. But I actually found the opposite to be true.
4: And, uh,
1: I was kind of, kind of saddened by that. Mm. Okay. Rudy, I appreciate the call. Uh, interesting thoughts. Rudy says, uh, go back to the Obama years, go back to the beginnings of what we now call wokeism. I, I want to be careful though. I mean, that's a very vague term. I, I can't put an exact definition on it. I, I think I kind of know what I mean when I say it, but if you ask me to like write down a paragraph or a sentence defining it, I, I, I don't think I could. Um, It's definitely true, though, that when you have, uh, little or no curiosity for truth, or you have been taught the truth itself is relative, we have this, we have this expression now, I'm, I'm speaking my truth. See, to me, as an older guy, that sounds like somebody that suspects they're wrong, but doesn't want to be told. Now, when you and I went to school, we were not allowed to entertain our truth. The teacher stood at the front of the classroom, and there were facts. But if now we have made that subjective, it's what you feel, it's what you identify as, your truth makes it impossible to correct inaccurate facts. So if you want to say, hey, Michael Brown was not a good guy, and Michael Brown attacked a police officer, my truth makes it impossible to work that through. And if we can't work through, you know, I mean, I understand the fog of war. You don't get the story right the first time, and not everybody gets But if we can't work through to some kind of objective truth, and if we're actually teaching there isn't objective truth, then then I think we we are in some pretty serious trouble here, right? I mean, this is this is how we get like this. This is how we get to the point where stuff we don't agree with becomes stuff we don't understand, becomes stuff we fear, becomes stuff we hate. As we get ready for the State of the Union speech tonight, we're talking about uh, not only that, but kind of the whole. When did things get like they are, and how did they get like they are? Uh, and it all started with the question about whether or not Kevin McCarthy would tear up the uh, the Biden script after Joe Biden delivers the speech tonight, and he says no, uh, he will not do that. Uh, 210-599-5555. Joining the show now on the ktsa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line uh, from Hire.com and the Ed Morrissey Show, Ed Morrissey. Good to have you back, Ed. Happy belated uh, New Year, and, and uh, thank you for coming on. I know it's a busy day for you
5: on and happy belated new year to you as well
1: so uh kevin mccarthy not going to tear up the speech tonight uh doesn't seem like (laughs) his doesn't really seem like his style anyway i don't know from a little we've seen of him so far um i i find myself dreading this uh speech tonight so give give people who don't have to watch it uh like we do uh what is the what is the rationale for why this is important well, that's a trick question, Jack. Because mean yes, you know, it is it's not important. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing in this that we can expect of substance
5: that we haven't heard already before. In fact, this is sort of like the anti-substance event in politics, and, uh, and it, it just it's an it's an empty exercise. Um, it is nothing more than a campaign speech and a basically a shopping list uh, that Joe Biden will want from uh, from Congress, and I'm not making this about Joe Biden, by the way. He just happens to be the president doing it this time. It's true of every State of the Union address I've ever watched. I couldn't tell you anything from last year's State of the Union address that was memorable at all. I couldn't tell you anything that was memorable from the last 21 or 22, 21 State of the Union addresses. The only thing that's been memorable in the last generation was the first half of George Bush's 2002 State of the Union address, in this because he spent the time talking about 9/11 and the response to it. And after that, it was right back to the laundry list. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just it's it's a basically a free show for a president who takes advantage of it. Um, I would really love to see this tradition come to an end and have the president just report in, you know, some sort of written form uh, what he needs to report to Congress. But mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. The incentives incentives for both sides of the you know both sides of Pennsylvania I had I
1: had gotten my hopes up at one point that maybe this uh this relic would be a uh, a casualty of covid but son of a gun if it didn't survive covid and bounce right back <laughs> unlike so many other things um bigger here's an even bigger question ed we're we're kind of wrestling with this too you know so the reason pelosi tore up the speech is because she just hated the guy delivering it she hated what he was saying she she hated him whether it was theatrical or she really felt that way that's kind of emblematic of where we're at right now right we don't agree to disagree uh we we, we don't want to shake our head at the people we disagree with we want them silenced we want to cancel them so when did whatever you want to call that the culture war or what when did we get like this and why did we get like this in your opinion because we haven't always been like this
5: No I think that part of this is the fact that the the expressions of comedy you know COMITY in in politics have really been uh become viewed as a a sort of Compromise in themselves a sort of you know people want to see authenticity And so when you're saying you know my my you know my my respected colleague or something like that my friend from You know x-state even though you you everybody knows you hate each other people dislike that because it's just Disingenuous or at least it looks disingenuous, but what people don't understand is that type of comedy is required in order to get things done and so I think that the more that we've had social media, you know, the more we've had C-SPAN, you know, on, on cameras. It's, it's not C-SPAN's fault. I mean, it's it's just television, right? C-SPAN is just a, a you know a, a channel. I love it when knows. people
1: come on radio and blame television for stuff. That's you, you see, go. this is why I keep having you on. Abso- <laughs> it, damn it, it's television. Do
5: I know how to be on brand?
1: Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, but but
5: you know what I'm talking about, it's a social media thing, and, and, you know, people...
1: But you know what else, you know what else, if we're going to be honest about it, if you were to buck this, if you were to say, I'm not going to do this, you would get called out by your own party for being inauthentic. Are you talking about the State of the Union address, or are you just talking about... Anything. uh, I mean, if you were to come out and say, you know what, folks, we can't get anything done, Unless we are willing to accept, you know, Reagan used to say this, right? I'll take 50%, 70%, because that's better than nothing. I'm not going to let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, but if you said that now, I think you would be so harshly condemned by your own party that they'd, they'd smother you to death.
5: Well, and you see this, and there's consequences to this, and it's not just on the right. It's also true on the left, which is the reason why when Biden got into office, he did this sharp left turn and just embraced the entire progressive agenda rather than do what he had promised to do during the election, which was to govern from the center and to look for ways um, and, and projects to work across the aisle to get a few things done. Now, they did do that with infrastructure, mostly because everybody had some incentives to spend that kind of money. But the rest of the stuff uh, was just simply hardline, majoritarian um, um, demonstrations, and and primarily because the progressive wing is the real juice in the Democratic Party. And that's where the volunteers are coming from. That's where the donors are coming from. And they want their agenda pushed through no matter what the consequences are. And that's the reason why Build Back Better ended up dying several Mm -hmm. times. Over the last uh, two years, and then finally got resurrected into the Inflation Reduction Act, at about a tenth of, uh, well, maybe about a, maybe about a an eighth of what it was originally proposed to be. Originally, it was supposed to be six trillion dollars of spending, and um, it got down to about eight hundred billion. And even then, it was a it's a disaster of a bill. It's money that shouldn't have been spent in the first place. So, um, that's the problem. It's a problem that Joe Biden's had, and it's a problem that the next Republican president will have as well is that the where the energy is coming from in both parties is from a real hardline caucus within both parties, and they're squeezing centrists out. It,
1: it's probably, I mean, it, it's probably getting worse, but it's probably not entirely new. I mean, if you look at history, there have been many presidents that had to appease like different parts of the country. You know, like I'm thinking of like. Roosevelt couldn't be the 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 civil rights president because he needed the Southern Democrats, and you know you 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 see that throughout history, right? But but I do feel like right now there is a higher amount of fear. I think leaders are truly terrified of the fringes of their parties.
5: Yes, because again, that's where the energy is coming from. That's where the uh, where that, that's where the money's coming from. I think the problem has been, and, and this is. It, it's sort of a vicious cycle, too, because what's happened is, is that as government has failed to work properly, uh, people get angrier, they become more hardline in their positions, and as a result, it makes it harder for government to work. And so you've got this sort of vicious cycle going on here. Now, the State of the Union address... Would be a great place to reset, right? Especially after a midterm election. I don't expect to see this tonight, by the way. I expect Biden to talk about, well, we need to come together. Oh, well, we, you know, I have tried to reach out to across the aisle and all that kind of stuff. This is standard State of the Union stuff. But nobody—he's not going to do it. He's not going to triangulate like Bill Clinton did in 1995. He's not going to come around and, and adopt the, the, um, you know, and co-opt the Republican agenda. Because he's just he can't he doesn't have any room to do that. Clinton had room to do that. Um but nobody's got room to do that right now, and it's because both parties have really squeezed mm. out uh the people who would normally be doing the compromising in these um in, in these things and getting some things done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you, you mentioned um Bush's two thousand two State of the Union. When was the last time you think we were not like we are now, like you're describing now? Was it after 9-11?
5: Well, I mean, I think briefly, right? I think between 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq, we had a, a, a brief return to some sort of cooperative framework for government. People still had their agendas, but they were willing to work together, and I think it was because of the shock of the attack after 9-11. Prior to that, I think you got to go back to the Cold War, because we had a an existential threat, and it required people to be serious about some of those things. It doesn't mean that they weren't doing unserious things during that period of time, but primarily they got things done. Primarily they were able to work through these things. And, you know, it's uh, Reagan and Tip O'Neill, um, you know, I think it was Reagan who said it, but basically said, you know, we can have arguments all day long, and then we go out and have drinks together because, you know, we remember that um, that we are, um, you know, we're still Americans. We still want what's best for the country. But I, I think people are, are just really dug into trench warfare in terms of politics these days. And it's mm. very difficult to move them out of
1: those trenches. Mm. So uh, to recap, Ed Morrissey says you do not have to listen to or watch, but Jack still does. Well, I think I'm
5: still going to have to, though. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's part of Because <laughs> it's my job right
1: i mean i'm gonna be stuck with yeah you, right? i know i know but, i know but yeah, Well, I mean, don't
5: expect anything of substance i'll just say that don't expect anything of substance to come out of this
1: i will i will uh that will that that i think you are safe in saying i don't think you're going out on a limb with that one uh and i hope we can have you back again soon I want to talk some other political stuff with you but i know you're busy today so appreciate your visit as always always love what you do at HotAir.com. air.com to keep up the great work
5: thank you jack thanks for being thanks for having me on today
1: you got it. Uh, senator Steve Daines, uh, who's a Republican senator, posted a picture on Twitter of a Montana antelope killed on a hunting trip with his wife. Uh, they're posed with the antelope in their hunting clothes and, um, you know, it's just like one of those pictures people post when they're hunters. There's nothing particularly unusual about it, except that Steve Daines was suspended from his Twitter account. Last night, because the photo was said to violate Twitter's terms of service. And there is really nothing offensive about the photo other than there's a dead animal in it. There's no blood, there's no gore. In fact, it's, I, I've seen a lot of hunting photos. It's one of the cleaner ones I've ever seen. Um, the backstory is, uh, it's Montana, he hunts, apparently he hunts a lot, he even donates uh, elk meat to uh, poor families. But to me, the, the, the craziest part of this is what we're talking about right now. That whoever made this decision And I will jump ahead to the end of the story and tell you they've reversed the decision and he's got his account back. And Elon Musk tweeted out uh, afterwards, going forward, Twitter will be broadly accepting of different values rather than trying to impose its own specific values on the world. But the the craziest part of this story to me is it, it illustrates or it reminds us that there are people in parts of the country who do have no idea how people in other parts of the country live. I mean, I, I always tell people, I'm a city guy. I, I, I grew up in the city. I, I, I have lived in cities and suburbs. I I won't pretend to be something I'm not, but I'm aware <laughs> that there is another way to live I'm aware of, and I know people who grow their own food, hunt their own food, I'm not unaware of it. So you don't have to be everything. But there are, you know, to everything there is a season, right? And I think this is fascinating and kind of scary. That we we just don't even care to know people different than ourselves. I don't mean we, you, and me. I mean... That, that's what I think happens here. You know, he didn't say something that you could disagree with. But somebody saw this and was apparently shocked, unaware, unfamiliar. I don't know where they think meat comes from. You know, if you want to get out into the weeds, uh, hunting is part of conservation. Teddy Roosevelt uh, and the great early conservationists all hunted their butts off. But whoever made this decision that then quickly was overridden has no knowledge and no curiosity of people different from himself or herself. When did we get like this? What do you think, uh, as a football fan, of all this uh, hoopla? I I I never heard of, like, um, opening night of the Super Bowl. What do they call it? I mean, it's all this... Mm -hmm. I I get that there are two weeks off. I get that if you're in the city where the Super Bowl is held, there probably have always been a lot of parties and events and public things. But, but like this sort of, um, it's almost like the 12 days of Christmas at this point, you know?
0: You know, it's getting to be that way. And, you know, from time to time, I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching like Super Bowl. Go back to Super Bowl 20, the, the, the 85 Bears. Mm. That was a big deal. Remember the Super Bowl shuffle Mm -hmm. and all that? But go back and watch the game and look how simple it is mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to today. And mm-hmm. I know that the the footage of Super Bowl one is kind of scarce because something to do with the archiving way back then. But look at Super Bowl two, three, four. Yeah, it's just a football game.
1: How about we just have a football game? Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and so yeah, I, I like new things and the the entertainment and stuff. But yeah. like you said, it's getting pretty overblown at this point. You know, I mean, I. It would be
1: hard for me to get tired of football. Mm-hmm. I am tired of hearing it <laughs> yeah, I, just right. like I'm, i'll check out till we get to the game i'll watch the game, but i'm kind of checked out till then are you Are you looking forward to this game or you i've had people say to me they really this one is one they really don't feel for
0: you know in, in only one way am I somewhat intrigued, and it has to do with my eight year old who's now finally starting to to kind of to kind of get it with football. And yeah. so he asked me a couple of days ago over the weekend, he's like, daddy, do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to win? I said, Adrian, do you know who he plays for? We were just in Missouri and he knew. And so mm. those wheels are starting to flick. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I want him to enjoy it. And it's kind yeah. of coincidental because the first Super Bowl I ever watched with any interest yeah. was Eagles Raiders in 80, is after the 80 season. So I'm predicting um, uh, Chiefs win, Eagles losing, yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being here, by the way. Uh, and you can hear our show live from 4 to 7, uh, Monday through Friday on uh, KTSA Radio. Or you can get this as a, as a podcast. Listen on demand, anytime, anywhere you want. Run all the shows together. Get a week's worth or listen in pieces. Uh, we have people that listen at night, that walk the dog in the morning, that listen on weekends. Uh, Go to KTSA.com on demand or find The Jack Riccardi Show anywhere you like to get podcasts. We've been kind of asking the question, how did we get to where we are in our politics, in our society, in our culture? Like, clearly, we don't agree to disagree anymore. I mean, you might. When I say we, don't take it personally. But generally, whether it's politicians, whether it's just people, we seem to not agree to disagree or turn away or shake our head. There is this desire to cancel the existence of the other side. There's a lot of yelling. You know, there's a lot of uh, kind of shrill, um, very intolerant <laughs> demands for tolerance. I don't know if you've noticed that. The people that are demanding tolerance are themselves the most intolerant people you'll, you'll ever come across. And um Bill Maher was talking about this on his HBO show the other night, and he was he was likening it, and I've I have i have seen this similarity too. I'm glad that he's thinking this this way, but um he was comparing it to what happened with communist China in the nineteen sixties and, and what they called the cultural revolution. It was directed by the government, but it looked very much like the uh you know mob mentality that we see today. And, and, and here's a little bit of what he had to say about it. Uh, cut number three.
6: Because, again, in China, we saw how a revolutionary thought he could do a page one rewrite of humans. Mao ordered his citizens to throw off the four olds. Old thinking, old culture, old customs, and old habits. So um, your whole life went in the garbage overnight. No biggie. And those who resisted were attacked by an army of purifiers called the Red Guard who went around the country putting dunce caps on people. Yeah, who didn't take to being a new kind of mortal being. A lot of pointing and shaming went on. Oh, and about a million dead. And the only way to survive was to plead insanity for the crime of being insufficiently radical, then apologize and thank the state for the chance to see what a piece of shit you are. And, of course, submit to re-education, or as we call it here in America, freshman orientation. (laughs) You know, it's almost
1: perfectly identical to the phenomenon we see today if there's a guest speaker at a campus, if uh, a person takes, uh, if a prominent person steps out of line, if a person doesn't do what their race or ethnicity dictates they should do politically. Um, th- th- what's scary is in China you had a society of people that were not, not uh, in, inclined to be this way, but very, very quickly got the hang of it and the thrill of it. And he told the story of a uh, professor named Jason Kilburn. Listen to this, cut number four.
6: Listen to this story. There's a law professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago, named Jason Kilburn, whose crime was that on one of his exams, he used a hypothetical case where a black female worker sued her employer for race and gender discrimination, alleging that managers had called her two slur words, the type of real-world case these students might one day confront. And knowing the extreme sensitivity of today's students, he didn't write the two taboo words on the test, just the first letter of each. He was teaching his students how to fight racism in the place where it matters most, the criminal justice system. But because he merely alluded to those words, again, in the service of a good cause, he was banned from campus, placed on indefinite leave, and made to wear the dunce cap. <laughs> no, not really the dunce cap part, but, but our American version of that. Eight weeks of sensitivity training, weekly 90-minute sessions with a diversity trainer, and having to write five self-reflection papers, a grown-ass man, a liberal law professor. If you can't see the similarities between that and this, the person who need, needs re-education is you.
1: When you hear these kinds of stories and we tell them on this show all the time, do they make you want to give up? Because that's not why I'm telling them. I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not in control of how you react to things, but just so you know, my purpose is not to wear you down. My purpose is not to say, uh, it's over. It's been a good run. I, I would not give up the ship, and I don't think people are giving up the ship. I've said over the past several months, where are the women, where are the feminists, where are the parents in this transgender sports thing, and they're coming out. They're taking to the field. Feminists, liberals, people that have an actual personal familiarity with fighting for their rights, are standing up in public, standing up in meetings, standing up in social media, refusing to be silenced. You see the uh, author J.K. Rowling doubling down, refusing to budge, refusing to wear the dunce cap. They've come after her. You can say, well, Jack, she's very rich and she's got a, uh, you know, a shelf full of bestsellers, but it's exactly people like her that have been giving in. And it is depressing to see people give in. It's almost as depressing as to see the, the mob that makes them give in. But I think people are getting pushed to or past their breaking points. And um, I think people are beginning to realize when they speak up, it will be lonely at first, but there's a there's actually a great appetite there's a great hunger for people to stand up and 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 then and then the, the you go from being lonely to finding out there are more of your kind than there are of theirs so this is a battle that can and 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 I believe will be uh won what do you think 210 599 but when did we get like this how did we get like this? The big question we started the show with. I was having lunch with a friend of mine today, and we were talking about our families. And his kids are really small, and because my daughter is older, I and 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 you never want to be this way. But I just started in with the whole. Well, they grow up fast, you know. Enjoy it. Well, and I remember when people would say that to me when my daughter was tiny, and people would say they grow up fast. I would I would think to myself, what are you What are you talking about? This doesn't feel fast. No, when they're, when they're three or five, it doesn't feel fast. Then all of a sudden they're 12. And then all of a sudden they're 17. Anyway, after we had lunch and I was driving back from the restaurant, I was thinking about my daughter at different ages and stages. And I was thinking about a column that I had read recently, uh, by a writer named Elizabeth Scalia. And her son told her the other day, Parents don't get to teach their children anymore. Parents don't get to teach their children anymore. Now, hear me out. He wasn't back-talking his mom. It wasn't sassing, as we used to say. They still say that? Parents don't get to teach their children anymore. His reasoning was that when he was little... He could and would go to his mom or dad with questions. What does this word mean? Where does dust come from? How do you tie a knot, right? I mean, your parents were the the answer desk. You just assumed they would know and even though they might sometimes tell you to work it out yourself or look up the answer, in fact, parents are thrilled to be that. We want to be that. We we are glad for those interactions with our kid. And her, her son was telling him, uh, telling uh, Elizabeth, you know, parents don't get to do that anymore because now I just go to Google. If I want to know something, nothing's closer than my phone, and I use a search engine. He told her, This is her son. Parents have become expendable. They aren't even in the equation. Now, he wasn't saying it to hurt her. He was saying it in the kind of candid way that kids have. And he seems like a thoughtful young man. But is he right? Do our kids need us anymore? I mean, if they can look it up, and by the way, when they look it up, they might get an answer that is more... Accurate or succinct than the one we would give. Or they might get an answer that's incorrect or inaccurate or not the one we would give. Do you remember when you were a parent and your kids were little and they would ask you questions? There was no way you could know the answer to. And so you'd kind of fudge it a little bit. Why do trees have bark? Or, you know, something kids think up, you know, on the fly. Well, if kids can just Google it, have we become expendable? Do you believe that? 210 599 And I'm not I'm not going to completely agree with her son. Okay? I, I get what he's saying, and he's insightful. And there's no doubt that we are we are entering the era of artificial intelligence. I mean, we're really just at the beginning of it. But I think we have much to do, don't you? I mean, what do you think? I mean, Google might have an answer, but it doesn't have an answer that comes from our experiences. It doesn't have a way of modeling a behavior when we learn, the first people we learn from are our parents, right and wrong and how to talk to people and how to treat each other and how to defend someone and how to console someone and how to uplift someone. We learn that from seeing it. Manners. Faith. Dad jokes. Come on, right? I guess you can probably get those there too, but come on, right? And I think about all the times that Gabby would ask me a question. And you know how there's that age where they are all questions. Right? I mean, every ride in the car is like a news conference. But I wouldn't trade any of those moments for anything. I wouldn't trade them away for anything. Yeah, I might have been tired at the time. I might have been stumped. I was. But now I don't get those questions. She's not at that age anymore, and I miss those questions. And I think those exchanges were important to both of us. What do you think? I mean, if you can Google the answer, does that make parenting expendable? Do our kids need us? What do you think? 210-599-5555. And, I mean, technology is changing a lot of things. There's no doubt about it. And our kids are using it in ways that are very natural to them. Like I, I've had this conversation with teachers. Students literally do not know in some cases that they are cheating when they look up an answer because they've learned so many things by looking it up that that feels very, um, second nature. You and I would have thought if we were in school and we copied an answer out of the back of the book, whether you did that or not, I don't know and I don't care, but you you knew you weren't supposed to do that. Teachers tell me that, that it's not clear to kids when they use their phone in class or on an assignment whether or not that is right. It doesn't even occur to them sometimes that it might not be. They have to break it down at the beginning of the year. They have to set rules. So technology is changing. It's changing their lives. It's changing their childhoods. And now this, you know, chat GPT thing that's all over the news. So where do we fit into all that? What do you think? Uh Writer Elizabeth Scalia says, uh, My younger son stopped me in my tracks with a thoughtful observation. I wasn't surprised that he could be thoughtful. He often is. Parents don't get to teach their children anymore, he said. When I was little, if I wanted to know almost anything, my first instinct was to go to you or dad about it. Uh, We would talk it through. Now, if I'm curious about something, I just go to Google. Google. Younger kids don't even develop the habit of going to their parents for answers. They've been Googling since they could reach a keyboard, he said. Parents have become expendable. They aren't even in the equation. Well, all right, I mean, what the hell's he know about parents? He <laughs> hasn't been one yet. But, 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 he's thinking. He's making an observation about something that wasn't around when we were kids. And we were more dependent on those parents of ours for info, unless we looked it up in an encyclopedia, right? That was about it. What do you think? Is techn- the, the headline on her article was, is technology, is technology discreetly but thoroughly rendering parents expendable? And if not, why not? What would be your argument? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Jeff is on KTSa. Hi, Jeff.
4: Hey, Jack. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that if you have a good relationship with your kids, the uh, you know you're not expendable. Uh, as far as you know, to the point about them asking you questions. Um, my kids are grown now, but they still ask me. We have good conversations. We were talking the other day about the, the uh, electoral college. I remember my, asking my dad the, the same question they asked me, and and uh, and I remember his answer. You know and i give him a, a similar one you know right or wrong mm-hmm. you can look up anything on on google on the internet we usually use it for mostly trivia you know if we're having a conversation and you know what's the name of that song or what what uh what songs did he write or what year did that you know happen or whatever we can get those answers but as far as uh you know philosophical or theological you know conversations we uh, we mm-hmm. talk to each other about it
1: mm-hmm yeah, I mean there's a difference between what Google says and what you want your child to know. Right. And only right. you can only you can give them your vision, your experience. They Now they may not be interested in that at the at the time you're giving it, right? Because they're not they're not going to appreciate this. They're not going to say, "Wow, thanks for thanks for that insightful Conversation. But I mean, it sinks in, right? And you remember, you said you remembered something your dad said about the Electoral College many years before. So somehow it it stayed in there, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, his example was, you know, uh, I I would ask him why he said, because Elvis would be president if we didn't have it. And, you know, I don't use Elvis, (laughs) but I I think somebody else, you know, I think somebody else, uh, you know, maybe who would be uh, uh, Miley Cyrus or somebody. I don't know, but, you know, but, By uh, the way, Elvis's yeah.
1: president sounds pretty good right now.
4: Yeah, well, I would play both We both. could
1: we could do a lot Yeah, I know, we could do a lot worse. Jeff, that's a great point. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Um is technology making our uh our our parent thing uh expendable? Not obviously not completely, right? They're 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 helpless in a lot of other ways. They're dependent on us for food, shelter, etc. But I mean, if they can go to a search engine and they're holding it in their hand, it stands to reason that there's going to be times they don't come to us when in the past kids would have, right? Todd is on 550 and 1071 KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Todd.
3: Hi, Jack. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, technology makes uh, parents expendable because I think you can get a lot of knowledge on online. But, you know, you, you can't pass on virtues and things like citizenship and kindness and things that we really expect parents to pass on to the next generation uh, online. That, that's got to come from interactions with people and, and hopefully mm-hmm. as well. But what if your
1: kids are not coming to you with those questions that we always used to go to parents for? Then where do you come in on that?
3: Yeah, no, I, I think I think parents... Parents are the only, well, not the only, but the primary way to get, you know, the Book of Virtues passed on uh, to kids. It's got to come through parents and and other people in the community and not online.
1: Yeah, okay. Tom, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Um, I would say this, and I'm not by any means any kind of an expert, but I'm just thinking about my own experience. Um, First of all, they learn way more from how you act than what you say. So it's what you model it's not it's not hey we need to have a talk. It it's just every day and it's stuff that you do probably without even thinking. Like you take your kids out for a meal. How you treat the man or woman that brings the food or wipes the table is an indelible lesson for them. You're not saying anything, you're not even meaning it to be a lesson, you're not even realizing you're doing it. But there's little stuff like that that will imprint on them. And then if you are kind to people like that, there's a good chance they will be. If you are rude to people like that, there's a good chance they will be. And I don't think there's search engines or or technology for that. I think we have to admit, I think we have to admit that they're not going to come with the kinds of questions that can easily be answered elsewhere. And we wouldn't have either if we had at our disposal what they have. So it might be that it's more about what we show them than it is about what they ask us. Does that make sense? 210-599-5555. And, of course, part of growing up, I, I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like, first you, first you see your parents. They're the first adults you know. They're the first people you observe. Your parents' marriage is the first marriage you know anything at all about for better or worse. Um, then you start making friends, and then you start being with your friends' parents or families, and you start, oh, there's other ways to do this, or you can cook that a different way. A- and then you go off into the world a little bit at first, right, like maybe with your first job, and now you're around even more of a wider circle of people and experiences and whatever cultures, habits, and then, of course, perhaps you live out on your own, you move out, you move away from your family, maybe a long way away, and now your entire circle or network is of new, non-related people, okay? And all the while, you're adding on to your experiences, and you're adding on to people that you could copy, you could emulate, you could learn from, but then as you get older still, and I'm thinking about like myself now, Then you start to come back to, well, all right, I've had all these other influences, but, you know, as it turns out, my dad was really right about this, or my mom did that really in the perfect way. And so eventually, but not immediately, and you're not going to get an immediate gratification, they're not going to write you a thank you note, but eventually the stuff you showed them, just the the sort of observation of you, matters. So that's why I think despite her son's snap judgment, and I, again, he sounds like a smart kid, but I don't, I don't think it's true. It's just different. 210 599 And you know, you can look up a lot of things on a search engine. And all you'll have are a lot of things. You still have to put them together. You still have to plug them in, right? You, you can learn how to do something. You can learn a definition. You can learn history, you can, but you, you're still the one that has to connect them. So uh, y- this is not meant to be insulting. It's a, it's a question and it's a question that a kid asked. And when kids ask questions, no matter what we think of the question, we got to respect that it's a child asking or, or bringing it up. Right. So this lady, Elizabeth Scalia, who I follow and read, she was saying that her son a while back asked her uh, a question that stopped her in her tracks. He said to her, parents don't get to teach their children anymore. That's an attention getter. See, this kid's good. He, he started out with a provocative lead that hooks your attention. He'd probably be a writer himself someday. And um, then he goes on. He says, well, when I was little and I wanted to know anything, I would come to you or dad and just ask you, and we would talk about it. But now if I'm curious about something, I just go to Google, and kids younger than me are already just going straight to Google and not going to their parents for answers. It doesn't even occur to them to do that. Uh, does that make parents expendable? No, but it changes the transaction of being a parent. Still important. Still stuff that no one else can do for them but you, and if you don't do it, it may not get done. Kim writes to Jack at KTSA.com, Google can't teach morals, common sense, love, or how to feel protected. Parents will never be expendable, no matter who thinks so. Well, now you know, Kim, I'm going to push back on you a little, Kim, because you were a kid once. I was a kid once. I know that's hard to believe. Are you going to tell me, Kim, in the email, that there was never a time when you were a kid that you didn't feel like you knew everything? You had all the answers. You could do anything. You could run your life. Your parents were dolts and hicks and they were, you couldn't even believe somebody could still exist in the, in in this century as backwards as they were. You, you, you're not telling me you never had that phase. It might have been a short phase. But, I mean, there is that age or that phase where you do think your parents are not only expendable, they're in the way. Oh, the things I could do, the places I could go, the f- things I could eat, <laughs> if they would just get out of my life. Remember that age where you wanted to be in your room all the time? The door closed? Remember that age where you didn't want them to ask you? You hated them asking you how your day was. Oh, God, I don't want to talk about my day. I don't want to talk about school. I don't want to talk about that girl. I don't want to. Ta- so you are expendable to them in their minds. You are. Don't tell me that you never you never had that. But that doesn't make it true, right? I mean, you believed all kinds of things at various ages and stages that turned out not to be true. So yeah, we, we do think they're expendable. And Google is probably fueling that right now. We didn't have that, but that's probably fueling that idea that, why do I need them? Look at all this information that I have right now. Look at all this Look at all this, look at this wide range of answers I can get to one question. My dad might have one answer but but look, I can, I can type it in here and get 10,000 answers. And so I think that changes things. I think we have to be present. I think we have to model what we want them to learn rather than say it. I don't think we can wait for them to come to us. They're not going to come to us and say, hey, could I have some life lessons, dad? I <laughs> I've got some time and really like to soak up some of your experience. That's not going to happen. 210-599-5555. Mark's on the radio. Hi, Mark.
2: Um, long Hello, Jack. Long-time, respected listener and first-time caller. Well, welcome. This is such a great subject, and you have given me so much more just on the last few comments about Kim's email. But I'm, I'm going to go back to... The the wealth of knowledge we have, I can remember as a kid going to encyclopedias. Now it's hyperbolic. You know, you've got Google and you've got all this. But I'm going to go back to just the obsolescence, the the question about does does all that knowledge make parenting obsolete? Parenting is separate from just knowledge Mm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. Parenting is about, you know, when the kids come home, from school and they've, they've either heard, you know, on the playground or in the classroom, something that is counter to what you've taught. That's the moment where you, you teach them to apply that knowledge. And I'm talking about quality parenting, you know, not, not just siring and birthing children and sending them off to be brainwashed, but it's a real parent. You're, you're taking those moments and you're going to use critical thinking to apply that knowledge, you know, uh, to to a scenarios and things like that. So even even the the presence of Google and the wealth of knowledge, there's a lot to filter as an adult. You know, I, I go to several sources and I learn to think things through and find out which which of these people suits me best or what knowledge suits me best and. Not to not to dominate, but when you talk about morals, as, morals and ethics, it, it's so much more than just knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of push back on you're pushing back on Kim. You know, I've had my children. We're on number two of three in kicking them out of the nest, getting them, you know, mm-hmm. spreading their wings.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: I still get calls. At desperate times, and <laughs> hey, dad, mm-hmm. mom, mm-hmm. what do we do? So right. all that wealth of knowledge still circles right. back. And again, but we're talking right. about we're talking about a foundation of parenting. So I don't know if it's two different things. You know, like does does knowledge discredit me? Well, I mean, I, I've... well, I've what I think so it is is it's
1: not linear, Mark. You know, it's not like. You, you say it, they drink it in. You're, you're one of the first influences on them. You're one of the strongest influences on them. But as you pointed out, you, you will have competition as the years go by. But then I'm here to tell you, and I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm older than you probably, and, and I'm, and I'm definitely older than your kids. They will come back to your example or what they remember from you eventually. And that's why it's important to do now, even though at the t- at the time you're doing it you're not getting the you know they're not telling you oh thank you for the knowledge right but but it 's in there <laughs>
2: yeah
1: yeah and, and so you probably found yourself saying things you heard your parents say or doing things your parents did, but at the time they did them, you were like i'll never be like that or i 'm not going to say oh, well, that well
2: e- even even now you know it's funny when you talk about you know, Kim, that's, that's some of the stuff I've had right now. Part of my reason for pushing my kids out is because I'm at a, I'm at a threshold with them right now that I no longer have wisdom for them. You know, they, and, and wisdom is different than just knowledge. It's application mm-hmm. of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, well, push them out and let them go and let them struggle right. and fall and come back and talk and not right. shame them. Because yeah. I had to do the same thing, but yes, right. of course they're going to do that. But I think that's part of the, you know, the adult process is.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, it's time for you to go and learn. <laughs> and,
1: well, you're doing. And, a, I think you're family. doing. A, I think you're doing a great job. I think you're doing. I think you're doing it exactly right. I, and I like the way you said it, uh, Mark. I Love appreciate it. I appreciate your Man. calling. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I hope you will call again. Good first time call. Um, most people have been asking some version of the question today. You know, you're better off since Joe Biden became president. But I'm asking, are you? financially better or worse than you were before the pandemic because I, I I don't think our lives and our economy just automatically you know the the pivot points the hinges are not exactly aligned with elections you know even when you elect somebody new or you switch parties or the country <clears throat> changes directions it takes a while. For the, 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 the effect or the fallout to hit the economy itself and our pocketbook specifically. So, you know, where are you at? Because the, the, the premise of, of this speech tonight will be that, um, things are getting better and things are, are going to be different in a better way. Don't, don't yearn for the past. Don't want to go back to 2019 or 2018 or 2017 because this is how things need to be. And we're doing the things you're going to want and you want what we're doing and we're doing what you want. And of course you're going to say to yourself, but these are not things I want. I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't want things to turn out this way. Yes, you did. Yes, you do. They need to be this way. The world cannot go back to the way it was. So where are you at? 210 599 And I think it's possible to have a president you disagree with but still do well under a president. I didn't approve of anything Barack Obama did, hardly anything. I shouldn't say anything. I didn't approve of hardly anything he did. I did well under Barack Obama's presidency. I know people who didn't, and I know sadly and cruelly a lot of people who were lied to by him and his campaign did not thrive. He hurt the people that were counting on him the most. But I can't say I was one of them. And so... That's our poll question. We'll have the results on that coming up. You can vote at KTSA.com or 210-599-5555. Now about this speech tonight, which we will have uh, at uh, 8 o'clock, so we'll have an hour of Lars Larson and then the speech and the Republican response and then back to uh, regular programming, and we will not carry the ABC Fun and Games Hour beforehand, so don't worry about that. Um people have been uh, kind of wondering today what to expect and what will he say and what will the reactions be. But you already know this this is like a movie you've already seen. And one of the things you know is that there will be lines Democrats will applaud and Republicans will sit still for, and lines Republicans will applaud and Democrats will sit still for. Not very many of those um but we're we're clearly in a place now where um when Nancy Pelosi ripped up that Trump state of the union speech last year or whenever that was I guess not last year I'm sorry 2 years ago 3 3 years ago when she ripped that speech up in in 2020 <clears throat> she might have been acting hamming it up but that might also really have been how she felt about him and about that speech. And you may listen tonight or tune in tonight and wish you could rip it up. And you wouldn't be acting. Um, how did we? Uh, how did we get like this? When did we get to the point where they're not just our opponents; they're our enemies? And I'm not. I'm not so much interested in you telling me how awful they are or or I'm really not even interested in, in pointing the finger at one party or the other. I, I have my ideas. But when did it get like this? Why did it get like this, do you think? And I think Republicans would say that Obama was racially divisive, and he was, and inflammatory, and he was. And I think Democrats would say Trump was divisive and worse than Hitler. And then there's a whole category of people that were so broken by the 2000 election that Obama and Trump don't even matter because they never got over that. When did it start? I asked Ed Morrissey this from HotAir.com, and he, he felt that we had a little bit of unity or camaraderie after 9-11, not very long-lived. And we had some during the Cold War because we had hanging over us a threat that dwarfed other differences. Although I think we are rewriting that history a little too much, too, because there was definitely divisiveness about race all through the Cold War. So what do you think? 210-599-5555. And, uh, we brought up the, do our kids need us anymore thing? You can chime in on that if you want. 210-599-5555. Now, I will say a couple of things about how did we get like this and why are we like this and when did it start? When I, and, and again, this kind of goes back to remembering when you're young thing. One of my first memories <clears throat> of going to college was, and I had gone to a pretty big high school, so it wasn't like I'd had a sheltered life. Uh, my graduating class was, I think, seven or 800 kids. Um, when I went to college, I went to a large university in a city, and um, I was immediately in the midst of people from all over the country and all over the world, and I loved it. I wasn't the most social guy, I was very shy, but when I would meet people, when I would talk to the guy sitting next to me or, you know, whatever, I I, I was fascinated. I wasn't triggered. I wasn't afraid. I didn't mind a little give and take. I didn't mind hearing stuff I didn't want to hear. I didn't mind if we debated a little bit about Reagan or whatever. But it was, for me, the overriding thing was, look at the variety. I can't believe all these people. And then I would go into the library, and the library was a huge place. And they had these wooden sticks, and attached to every wooden stick was a copy of a newspaper. And it weren't it, they weren't just the newspapers from that city; they were from all over the country and around the world. This was the internet. <laughs> this is how it worked. We we had wooden sticks with newspapers on them. Anybody remember those? They were like giant lightsabers made of wood. And they put the newspaper on it. And you could read the news from India or the news from Canada or the news from Detroit. And all of this was, was to me, was I thought I had died and gone to heaven. People, information, different perspectives, different experiences, the whole world. And I look at people today and they, they don't want that. They don't, they don't don't want to be challenged. They don't want to hear things they didn't know or hear a different perspective on things. They're triggered. If we'd had triggering when I was that age, I'd have been triggered constantly because everyone I met was a, was a new revelation that there was more than one way to look at things and more than one way to do things. And so my point is, I think we changed when we became and we gave into fear of difference, fear of people with a different set of values, a different idea than us. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that young people who have the privilege to go to a big university today like the one I went to wouldn't revel in what I reveled in, but they apparently don't. Apparently, they are wanting to be sheltered from it and kept from it. And God forbid a a guest speaker come. And God forbid there be pushback on their political ideology, which they just formulated five minutes ago, but nonetheless cannot be challenged and is absolutely, totally right. And so they've limited themselves, and we've let them do it. The adults have given in on this. Woke youth are the product of adults that have let them be that way and have told them it's good to be that way and have indulged their whims and their temper tantrums and their bedwetting. And I, I, I think I can't put a date on it, but I can tell you that's what I think changed us to the point where we hate what we used to just disagree with.
7: And my fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless
3: America. Thank you very much.
5: A stunning moment here at the uh, end of the President's speech. Nancy Pelosi tearing up what appeared to be a copy of the President's speech. Uh,
4: It's appalling the things that he says, and then you say to me, uh, tearing up his... Falsehoods. Isn't that the wrong myth? No, it isn't. I'm always dignified. I thought that was a very dignified act compared to my exuberances, as I said. Whatever gets you through the night, it's all right. It's all
1: right. I told you you'd miss her. I told you. You didn't believe me. I didn't say why. And, uh, not only live here four to seven Monday through Friday, but just look for the podcast of the Jack Ricardi show at ktsa.com or anywhere, uh, that you like to get podcasts. And that way, if it's easier to listen or you can get the whole thing in, uh, nights, mornings, weekends, happy to go with you anywhere, anytime. Uh, 210 599 5555. Greg is on the Jack Ricardi show. Hi, Greg.
7: Hi. I was, uh, calling to respond to your, you had a question earlier about uh, why there's so much rancor between the uh, Republicans yeah. and Democrats. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that uh, it, it helps hide the fact that they pretty much agree on all the money issues. Uh, hmm. They might disagree a l- little bit on things like immigration and a- abortion, but when it comes to money, uh, they're pretty much in agreement. Also, things like uh, the drug war, uh, foreign uh invasions, foreign military bases, Mm -hmm. uh, spending. uh,
1: So you would say that it's bread and circus, right, that the elites are putting their heads together behind closed doors, but then in front of us they are staging this uh, bitter, angry disagreement.
7: You could say that. When you say elites, I, I would just limit it to the politicians at this point because they have to make a... They have to distinguish themselves just like a business has to distinguish mm-hmm. itself from a competitor, and they mm-hmm. can't do it on issues, so they mm-hmm. distinguish themselves by uh mm-hmm. by, i guess no, uh, I, I understand what
1: you're saying, and it's a it's a good point i don't I don't disagree with you um you've taken a narrower bite of the apple than I did though because I wasn't just talking about elected officials or people in the government, which you are, and I think you are right about i I'm saying yeah. broadly. Among people that don't control any tax dollars, among people that don't locate military bases or send troops into battle, um, that that rancor uh, wasn't always there. That inability to agree to disagree has has seemingly almost vanished.
7: Oh, oh you're right on. I I, I get your point. Uh, uh, I, I would I guess trace it back to it's like a cultural revolution, like malice. Uh, they just want to shut you down. And uh, I think that's been in the playbook for...
1: Uh... But the Cultural Revolution, we, we, and it's funny you men- mentioned that because we actually were talking about that a little while ago. The Cultural Revolution was directed, in other words, somebody told the Chinese people, specifically Chinese youth, to do that. They would not have yes. come up with that on their own. It was It was the furthest thing from that mindset or that culture. So they were told to do it. People are choosing to hate their neighbor who has a sign with the other candidate's name on it. That isn't being directed, is it? Uh,
7: I think so. Um, I think people underestimate just how much uh, the federal government influences uh, various actors, I mean, human action, in, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the country.
4: Uh,
7: a business for example, has a discretionary spending of maybe one or 2% because it's in competition. It has to meet the competition. But when government takes in trillions of dollars, we're talking the federal government, their, their discretionary spending is just mm-hmm. astronomical. Mm-hmm. So they, they tie it into, uh, uh, all sorts of things. And it, it I would imagine, uh, colleges and, uh, uh, Institutions of higher learning, not to mention, of course, uh, Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I, I like what
1: you're saying, Greg, about the 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 sort of staged um, competition uh, among politicians. It, it, you know, it's like it's like when the airlines try to make us think that it will be a very different experience flying from here to New York on their airline versus the other guys, and we know it's not. That's not true. We'll we'll get there in the same shape, in the same seat, uh, with the same crappy experience but I, I think you're right about the politicians i i don't think i agree with you that the reason we are at each other's throats to the extent that we are is because the government told us or directed us to be i i, I feel like there's I feel like there might be a little more going on than just than just that but well, definitely well, a very thoughtful of uh, ver- I, I love your take on this and i appreciate your calling me thank you i really good really good call greg thank you Heard today, and and maybe you know um, if, if if it's out there and I just missed it. Um, usually, these State of the Union speeches, there's some like big, you know, shout out moments. Sometimes several of them, but there's usually like one main one and then some other minor ones. Right? That started with Ronald Reagan, and you have the guest up in the gallery, and Don Cooper and I, our producer Don Cooper, we were just trying to figure out cuz you hadn't heard either don right who is the surprise shout out at the state of the union and they can't they can't do zelensky cuz they've already had him and um, we were just kind of wondering who would give president biden an opportunity to make some kind of point or score a point or i'm thinking i'm going to put my money on the square that says paul pelosi I think it'll. I think he'll be the surprise guest, because they're going to want to re, you know, reanimate that whole. Look at what's happened. Look at what these mega, 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 muga, mugga, hugger, mugger people have done to our country. You know, so I, that's who I think. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe the maybe the name is out there, and I just missed it. I've not heard. Um, I didn't watch the Grammys. I don't care about the Grammys. It, it, apparently, a lot of people didn't watch them. Um, they had. Uh, an audience of 12.4 million, which is a ratings disaster. Just three years ago, the Grammys had 19 million. And traditionally, they would have 20 to 30 million. Remember that there's more people in the country every year. The potential audience is bigger every year. But there's also more competition, more things to tune in. And obviously, we don't live in a three-channel world. But be that as it may, I, I, I think I'm in the vanguard of people that are just not interested in award shows and as much as I love music I'm not interested in watching a woke bunch of people you know patting themselves on the fanny but apparently there was a moment there was a performance by Sam Smith dressed up as Satan and um the the hashtag was fat satan because he's kind of plump and he was in this big red suit he had an entourage of drag queens and transgender demons according to this article i'm looking at um and they were honoring the first trans woman to get an award at the grammys and they sang some ridiculous song and um, a little background about Sam Smith. Sam Smith actually has a pretty good voice, and when he when he came on the scene, uh, he was kind of a almost like a modern day George Michael, you know, a heartthrob, good looking, sang ballads, um, and, and he came out as gay, and then he came out as gender fluid, I think, and then he changed his pronouns, and now apparently he's come out as Satan, and a lot of people sent me this and said, "Well, why aren't you talking about it?" so I'm talking about it and here's what I would say with all due respect why do you care i mean I, i'm i'm i understand seeing satan on cbs is very upsetting or whatever network it was but but i mean this is just you know this is the symptom this isn't the problem and i noticed that I mean, there are, there are actual Satan worshipers and there's churches of Satan and all that. But when, when people like these entertainers do this, this is for shock value. Their knowledge of theology is probably pretty limited, I would guess. I would say the average, I could pick you out of the, you know, any one person out of this audience and they could probably run circles around Sam Smith <laughs> when it comes to theology. Or, the, or scripture, or what have you. But but I mean, it's just shock value. And you know what? It's it's going to get worse. Because of what I told you at the beginning. Fewer people are watching. No one cares. Now, when, when we were kids, an awards show was like a free concert ticket. You got to see performances by people you couldn't afford to see, or they didn't come to your city or town. And it brought to life the music you heard on the radio. You know, you'd, you'd heard this song, but now here's the, here's the gal that actually sings it, or here's what the group actually looks like. It was very exciting. I mean, we'd only watch the award shows. My, my brothers and sisters and I, we'd even watch like the Jerry Lewis Labor Day telethon because you might see Tony Orlando or the captain and Tennille or, or <laughs> I mean, what have you. They're Googling that one done. Captain and Tennille is trending right now, but seriously, that's what it was. And then MTV came along and kind of the the moved the needle over to well, all right, now we can see a lot of different performers, but in shorter doses, and we don't have to wait. And I just think award shows are very passe. They're trying to be avant-garde and cutting edge and shocking, shocking, Satan. Oh, but it's. It's the last gasp of a dying concept. And I think I know a little something about, a little something about the entertainment business. So can I just tell you that when all else fails, shocking you is the last card in the deck. When they can't hold your interest, when they're not naturally curious, when you're not Uh you don't have an affinity, when you don't feel connected to these people. I mean, I don't want to go off on a a long side trip here, but there was a time when singers and stars, we had such a feel for them that if they said, hey, let's all give money to starving people in Africa, we couldn't give it fast enough. And we didn't stop to think, well, are they right? Or where will this money really go? Or we felt like they were part of us. I mean, we knew that they led different lives, but they they weren't like they are now. Now, they're in their own bubble. And you can watch their bubble. They're happy to have you tune it in. They hope that you will. But I think this is all shock value that's just my take that's I, I it's just an opinion but so many people sent it to me i thought well i'll say something 210 you know what else was interesting apparently did you hear this don bonnie Raitt won um the grammy for um song of the year she wrote a song and uh one song of the year against a very uh popular Field of nominees. She mm-hmm. did not expect to win.
0: Yeah. I think she was just as a surprise.
1: Yes. Yeah. And the, the London Daily Mail headline was, Who is Bonnie Raitt? <laughs> yeah. So th- this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt has won more Grammys than probably all but a handful of people in that room. Won the grant. Not, I mean, nominated. I mean, she won them. Over the years. She is in the hall of halls of fame. You name a hall of fame, she's in it. They didn't know who she was. That's that's how things have changed. So that's I, I don't know. I mean if it upsets you, I guess don't watch it. I would that would be my advice. I, I'm not going to. I I think I know what they're doing and I don't think it'll work.
5: Love, love will keep <laughs> us together.
2: There you
4: go.
1: I don't know how I pulled that out of my uh, ear. Where did that come from, Don? I don't even think they ever won a Grammy, did they? I don't even know. Didn't seem like they would have. Anyway, on the JR poll, uh, are you financially, you know, financially better or worse off? than before the pandemic, which presumes the pandemic is over. I know some people don't think it is. Are you financially better or worse off than before the pandemic? It was not close. 84% said worse, 16% better. New JR poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4 here live on the radio or find it anytime at KTSA.com. A uh, nice email from a listener named Steve. Um, so a lot of nice things about the show said, do I remember correctly that the dish we Friday night, we talk restaurants, the dish, do I remember correctly that the dish used to use the categories sing or zing instead of praise or zing? Or did I just dream that I don't recall it ever being anything but praise or zing, but my memory is Terrible, and we have been doing it a long time. And we, it wasn't really in the beginning a formal feature, like it was a thing that popped up once in a while that we did once in a while, and we did it on different nights. And, um, I'll tell you something about the dish, and it's true of a lot of the things that became regular features on the show when we started doing it. The then management, not the people we have now. The then management. Oh, that'll, that's a terrible idea. That you, no, you don't want to do that. That'll never work. You, no, we, I don't think you should do that. They weren't, they, they stopped short of forbidding it, but they didn't like it. It wouldn't, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good idea. People won't call in about that.
4: Okay. Could he be the, uh, we, confusing final vinyl with the dish? Maybe kind of I don't putting know. Putting the two together. No, I
1: don't know. Maybe um and we then we went from don't do it to we think you should do it every night for 15 minutes we tried that very briefly that was terrible um just like you know what guys like you know we know what we're doing here just leave it be just you know we figured it out but yes thank you for the nice email steve and thank you for the question i think it was always praise and zing and um this was kind of interesting. Um, with all the talk about electric cars and the future of the car, Mazda um, promises that the Mazda Miata, their little roadster, is here to stay. The boss of Mazda, confirming to a uh, British publication auto car that they will keep updating it, but they will never remove it From the company's lineup, Mazda's MX5, that's the official name for the Miata, will never die, says Martin Tenbrink. And uh, they've been making the Miata since I think what, late 80s, right? 89 or 90? So I'll tell you what, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I have the feeling, and I may not be around to claim credit for this when the time comes, but I think we're going to go, we're going to go back. I mean, when we we look back many years from now, this whole, we're all going to EV, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen modestly, not completely, not totally, not uh, as draconian and as draconian (laughs) a fashion as they're making it out to be. I think the car companies, in little subtle ways, here and there, I'm noticing New models coming out still with gasoline powered engines i mean these are these are not updates of existing cars they're introducing new models with gasoline engines. Why would you be doing that when five minutes from now it's supposed to be all over? You'd do that because you're not sure that's true. Why would the the probably the smartest car company in the world, toyota? be so carefully hedging its bets on not only electric, but hydrogen and fuel cell and hybrid and gasoline. Yeah, uh, You know, there's people smarter than the politicians in the car business. There's the people that have to nod and smile and go, yeah, we get it, we're going to do it. But then behind the closed doors, I think there's people that know, hey, we got to build what people will drive. So we'll see how that works out. But I was happy to hear that. about. I've never owned a Miata, but I was happy to hear that about the Miata, and I think we'll hear more stories like that. And, of course, tomorrow we'll have a reaction to the speech you don't have to watch or listen to because I'm going to do it for you. I've got you, as they say. I got you. But we've got that. We'll have everything else that's going on, and we'll talk about it. We'll have a new poll question. And not only will we be live between 4 and 7 here on KTSA, but you can always find our show on demand, entire episode podcasts, at KTSA.com, or look for The Jack Riccardi Show at your favorite podcast place. Have a good night.